You are now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. I am Alex Shane, here as always with my good buddy, Rich Hill. The 2018 NFL Draft is in the books, and as always, the Patriots did exactly what we all thought they were going to do by doing nothing we thought they were going to do. <laughs> That's exactly how they roll. Lots to break down, lots of new Patriots to talk about. Some guys came in on the roster in the first round, second round, not till the fifth round, sixth round, seventh round, as well as some undrafted free agents. So a whole new bunch of guys that some of you out there might not know who they are, and that's why we're here. Crazy how these guys are going to work out. But first of all, Rich Hill, how are you working out today? Uh, I am exhausted from this entire draft. I, I mean, the first day of the draft is just so exciting. It's so much fun to see these players getting drafted in the first round that you've been following for the entire fall. And then the second ra- or second day, you're also super excited because these these are the players that are really going to make you a championship team. And then the the third day of the draft is just like running a marathon where you're just in the final five miles and you just cannot take another step because oh my gosh why did bill belichick trade down six times in the seventh round please just make it stop (laughs) bill just 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 call it a draft and end it end it for everyone pretty please it was like probably the equivalent of eating a cinnabon you know where like the first bite is just absolutely amazing and then by the third bite you're like i'm just literally digesting butter right now which you know what that maybe that floats some people's boat but uh, some people like the third day no, yeah, I know. I, I'm with you. I, I'm not a huge draft nick. Some people, they break down and they're really excited about it. They do mock draft after mock draft and they break down the picks. I tend to watch the first round and maybe the second round is on while I'm doing stuff. But after that, I, I have better things to do on my weekend. You can just go online at night and see exactly what the Patriots picked. Or when the Patriots go on the clock, your phone can ding. You can tune in for that moment. So it's kind of nice to have that. But if you're a huge draft fan, this was kind of your Graceland this weekend. And it started off gangbusters, I think. Roger Goodell, bless his little heart, decided he'd pull one over on the Dallas faithful by bringing some Cowboys legends, Troy Aikman, Roger Starbuck, and Jason Witten, thinking they couldn't possibly boo him with those three guys on the phone <laughs> with him. <laughs> Boy, was he wrong. He got booed so loud, I couldn't even hear him open it. And that is saying some hit a microphone in his hand. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that was fantastic. I, I just loved all of the moments where no matter what he tried to do, it just didn't, and no one, no one was buying it. He could masquerade. I think I saw this tweet. You know, he could walk around with Saint Nick and the Pope and you know Bruce Springsteen out there, and he would still get booed. <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> he, there's nothing that he can do right. And now it's just an annual tradition. I feel like he has to embrace it just because there's no other reception he could possibly get. The day that he walks out there to a, a rousing cheer of approval is likely because he's said that he's going to step down and retire. That's the only day he's going to go out there and get a positive reception. But, you know, we don't need to talk about Roger Goodell today, thank goodness, and hopefully ever again, because we're here to break down the draft. Alec, this is, was, uh, as you said, Patriots didn't do what anyone expected, so therefore, does that mean they did exactly what everyone expected? Because no one can, can read the mind of Bill Belichick. Can you walk me through the first day of the draft for you and what was going through your mind when you know, the Patriots were coming up on the clock? Yeah, so, you know, with two first-rounders and the Patriots, you usually think they're either going to package those two first-rounders and move up and get someone they really, really want, or more likely they're going to trade at least one of those, possibly both of those picks away, add some capital in the back end of the draft, but they do their best work in rounds three through six and maybe get some capital for next year as well. They're probably not going to use two first-round picks they have. But lo and behold, they use both first-round picks. They drafted offensive lineman Isaiah Wynn out of Georgia, and just a few picks later they drafted his, the guy he was blocking for, Sony Michelle, out of Georgia as well. Uh, lineman maybe was a, an expected guy, but we were thinking more of a, a large, prototypical Patriots tackle. And I don't think anybody had a running back as the second first-round pick, because that's a very crowded backfield made even more crowded with the Michelle pick. So I was expecting nothing because I never do on draft day, and my (laughs) expectations were bad. Oh, yeah, seriously. And all of the post-draft 
reports that were coming out about how the Patriots were originally trying to trade up to get Frank Ragnow before the Lions picked him. And then you had the Titans jump ahead of the Patriots to get Rashawn Evans. Part of me wonders if they really wanted just to get win all along because they're going to put him out there at that left tackle competition. They believe he's the best left tackle that they could get at that point. Because despite the fact that he's only like six foot two and three quarters, he was the best tackle in the SEC, and Bill Belichick loves the SEC. Any player that really stands out in that conference gets a gets a thumbs up in his book, and that'll play out later on in the draft with uh, the the quarterback that they picked. A little bit of a teaser uh, of what's to come up. Uh, Alec, part of the rumors around the Patriots heading into the draft was that they would have, as you said, been interested in packaging their two first-round picks to come up. Peter King suggests that if Baker Mayfield had fallen into the end of the top ten, the Patriots would have been willing and capable to trade up with a team like, say, the Chicago Bears to get their quarterback of choice. That never happened. There was a huge run at quarterbacks. I believe this was the first time that four quarterbacks went into the top ten. And so, as you say... They get a lineman that doesn't really fit their model. They get a running back, which, since Lawrence Maroney, this is the first time they've done that. Do you think this was a good draft for the Patriots? I think my overall impression of what the Patriots' impression of this draft was is that there are some very, very talented players available in 2018, but not that many of them. And the disparity between maybe the latter half of the first round and say the late fourth, fifth round isn't so great. You have to worry about that too much. And I think they basically just did, we're going to pick the best player available. If a really juicy trade offer comes along, we'll take it. But if they're guys we want and they're at the, the spot we're picking at, we'll take them. Regardless of need or whether the quote-unquote experts think we should take them or not, we're just going to do it. Um, and that's what we kind of saw in the first round, especially you know, Isaiah Wynn is not a guy that I had on my draft board as an offensive lineman. I like his versatility. He was listed as a guard. I think the Patriots are pretty set at guard with Joe Tooney and Shaq Mason. They do need a left tackle. And But the weird thing about it is, though, Rich, they got Isaiah Wynn, who is about six foot two and a half, like you said. And then the next day, they traded for offensive tackle Trent Brown. So it makes you wonder if there's really any any real real shot of win even starting this year or more of a red shirt this year year for him. Maybe put on a little bit more weight, learn how to play tackle exclusively, and then step in once Trent Brown comes down. I don't know. I, I like the pick of win. I think it's a good pick. He's a great lineman, but I'm not sure how he fits in in the immediate short term future. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting kind of series of events for the Patriots. And in my mind, the way that it plays out is that. As you said, they have win now. They have Trent Brown. Tony Garcia is coming back from an injury, and they re-signed the Adrian Waddle. There's going to be a four-man competition for that left tackle spot, and I'm sure we can throw Cole Crossan into there, but I feel pretty confident that he will not be one of those <laughs> those final players standing in that competition. And so if Win wins that outright, that's pretty great for him. That's fantastic. If not, I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily he he could still win that he could still be a future left tackle but Shaq Mason he is the right guard he will be a free agent after this year and there's a very strong chance that Shaq Mason will not be back in 2019 because he's going to be too expensive he's going to cost at least 10 million per year which could very well be out of the Patriots price range at guard you know Bill Belichick has historically been pretty okay throwing day three picks into the, the interior line and having them start and do fine enough. So I have a hard time seeing them investing that sort of money in Shaq Mason. And so if Mason leaves, perhaps Isaiah Wynn, I know he spent his entire time on the left side of the line, perhaps he can slide over to right guard and be the right guard of the future if he's unable to win that left tackle spot outright. So in the short term, Perhaps he's a solution at left tackle while, you know, Tony Garcia gets healthy, while Marcus Cannon gets healthy, he'll be a body out there. But if it doesn't work out for him to be a left tackle, there's still a spot for him somewhere on the line because he's just too good to keep off the field. I'll tell you, what a classic Patriots complaint. It's like, oh man, our first round pick's not going to start this year because there's a lot of talent ahead of him. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. I think that the Patriots are very good at drafting for the future. And again, as I said earlier, I, I don't think they value this draft that much in terms of immediate contributions. And the guys that they picked 
pretty much all across the board with some probably notable exceptions that we won't also won't see coming are not going to be massive impact players in 2018. Uh, the one possible exception could be the position that I think is the most easily translatable from college to NFL, and that is running back. Oh, Usually absolutely. running back to do well in college, they succeed in, in the NFL pretty easily. And the Patriots, as you mentioned, drafted a running back with their first-round pick since, since Loris Maroney, first time since Loris Maroney. Maroney did not work out too well, but Sony Michelle, uh, I think, is an absolute monster of a running back. I'm really excited about him for a lot of reasons, uh, but I have concerns for a lot of reasons. So I'll get into those in a minute. What are your thoughts on Michelle, Rich? In my mind, he's probably the best fit at running back for the Patriots in the entire draft, which isn't necessarily uh, a difficult thing to kind of declare. Uh, just because, as you said, running back's pretty fungible. There, there isn't really a huge need to invest a first-round pick into a running back, although I will say that it's not necessarily a bad thing that they went and took him because... He's not going to be too expensive. He is going to be on a four-year, $9.6 million contract, I believe, which means that he's getting less than Rex Burkhead. Rex Burkhead's getting nine over three years. So in the scheme of what you're willing to pay players, if the Patriots think that Sonny Mitchell, or sorry, Sonny Michelle, is going to be better than Rex Burkhead, then they're getting good value here, and there's a very real chance that he is. He was drawing comparisons to Alvin Kamara, who was this New Orleans Saints star running back who split time with Mark Ingram in the, the Saints' backfield last year. He was a complete dynamo out there, really changed the landscape of that Saints offense where they didn't have to rely on Drew Brees throwing it for 5,000 yards for the first time in the past decade. So the addition of Michelle could help take the pressure off of Tom Brady. He does not have to be a feature back despite being a first-round pick. And if he is capable, and this is something that could very well happen, if he is capable of splitting time with Rex Burkhead as the, you know, the alternate drives, first and second down sort of situation, and then James White comes in on third down, they're going to get a pretty good value out of him. I think they're going to get their money's worth. And of all of the running backs in the draft, he is one of the best runners, he's one of the best receivers, and he is the best blocker. And those are the three qualities that a running back needs to have in order to get on the field for the Patriots. He's going to bring a lot more versatility than what they would have with uh, a Mike Gillisley or a Jeremy Hill. And he's probably more dynamic than Rex Burkhead. So... Will he be Deion Lewis? I don't know. Maybe he'll need a year or two in the NFL to, to reach that level. But I would not be shocked if in year one he's splitting time with Rex Burkhead and then in year two he's going to be the guy in the Patriots' backfield. Yeah, it's funny. You, you mentioned uh, the fact he's a great blocker, a good blitz pickup guy. And that's such a key part of the Patriots' offense. Tom Brady diagnoses the blitz package and makes sure the running back's where he needs to be. I'm sure that went very far in, in to, as to why the Patriots picked him in the first round. My only real concern, I guess, to add on to what you were saying is that, A, I don't think the NFL is structured so that a running back is worth a first-rounder, regardless of talent, unless it's some otherworldly monster like the Adrian Peterson mold, like worth like one overall. I think the NFL is such a passing league now. Running backs are just kind of interchangeable, and I don't know if it's really worth a first-rounder, regardless of how good he is. And secondly, I, I, you look at the running back roster, there's now – Six guys on the roster. There's Brandon Bolden, Mike Gillisley, Rex Burkhead, James White, Jeremy Hill, and then Sony Michelle. Uh, I can't see them keeping more than maybe four, uh, maybe, maybe five. I mean, Bolden's a special teamer, so he's kind of in there. And then I imagine Jeremy Hill's probably out. But I think it's a very crowded backfield now. Maybe Gillisley's the guy that's going to go. I think it's just they, they didn't necessarily need a running back, and they probably could have gotten a decent amount of value with that pick. But they obviously saw something in, in Michelle that made them pick him, and I'm all in on him. And of all the picks they made in this draft, I guess he's probably one of the more exciting ones because a lot of, a lot of as you like to say, unsexy picks followed this one. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the reports were that uh, Michelle was not going to fall down the board. He wasn't going to be available for them at 43rd. Overall, and you see how it all played out. Nick Chubb went to the Browns at uh, 35th. Then Ronald Jones went to the Bucks at 38th. And then Kenyon Johnson went to the, at the, the Lions at 43rd, and they traded up with the Patriots to do that. There was a run at the running back position. Michelle was probably going to be a part of that. And the way that I justify this in my mind is that if the Patriots, you know, traded down, say, 35th, if we could mentally call Sony Michelle a second round pick, 
how would that change our opinion of it? I would be totally fine if he were a second-round pick. They invested a second-round pick in Shane Vereen. I think ultimately, I know he played a whole a huge part in Super Bowl Forty Nine, but people would say, yeah, Vereen was a good pick. He 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 justified his value in the second round. And just because Sony Michelle was the second to last pick in the first round, he's going to have a lot greater standards than, you know, Razai Dowling was picked 33rd overall. He's probably the biggest bust in Bill Belichick history, yeah. even more so than Dominique Easley. But, you know, Easley was picked three spots before him or something like that. I know they were in different drafts, but just the idea of having that first round tag just carries a lot more responsibility. I think that's a little unfair for our expectations with Michelle, and it should still be a developmental sort of process where he is still a rookie. He's going to be brought along as a, as a freshman this season, but then they'll have plenty of time to just see him develop and grow. Who knows if he'll, he'll come back on that fifth year option. I believe, uh, Melvin Gordon for the Chargers was the very first running back on a, on these new deals to get that fifth year pickup extension, but We'll see. That's a, that's a long way away. That is a lot of expectation for him. Uh, did you have any other thoughts on, on Michelle, or should we move on to the the beautiful second day of the draft for the Patriots? Yeah, let's move on here. The second day of the Patriots draft was a, a very busy day that yielded one player. Um, <laughs> You know, they, 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 they had 43, they traded down to Detroit for 51 and 117, then they moved 51 for 105 and the second rounder 2019 to the Chicago Bears. Then they drafted Duke Dawson, a cornerback out of Florida with pick number 56. Uh, then they traded Tampa Bay, uh, pick number 63, um, 456. So a lot of moving up and down the second round draft board. Duke Dawson, cornerback from Florida. Shocking. One thing you can always guarantee is Belichick picking a cornerback. In the second round, he kept up with tradition. Dawson pick, Rich, what do you think of it? Well, I'm pretty sure Duke Dawson is one of the best superhero names you can find. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy from that perspective. If he's able to live up to that name, he's going to be incredible. Uh, I, okay, so my thought on this is that Bill Belichick, after the draft, said – actually, Nick Casario said this. Nick Casario is running point. Casario said that the Patriots were willing to consider taking Duke Dawson at 43rd overall. They looked at the layout of the board. They felt comfortable waiting because Josh Jackson was still on the board, Dante Jackson, MJ Stewart, Isaiah Oliver, Carlton Davis. There were a lot of cornerbacks still on the table at this point because there hadn't really been a run at this position. So they thought they could move down. They had a bunch of players in that same tier. And then there was that run. Personally, Josh Jackson, Josh Jackson, in my mind, is one of the best cornerbacks. Never mind, just one of the best players in the entire draft. So I would have taken him at 43 if I were the Patriots rerunning that draft. But they like Duke Dawson. They like the fact that he can play inside and outside, which Josh Jackson might not be able to do. He could be a fantastic compliment to Stephon Gilmore. He could very well be the next Logan Ryan. I know we said that with Cyrus Jones, but Jones had a little bit of the yips on special teams, so he wasn't able to contribute. Hopefully Dawson doesn't have that hurdle ahead of him. But MJ Stewart went 53rd to the Bucks. Dante Jackson went 55 to the Panthers. Those were two other players I could see really fitting with the Patriots, and the fact that they both went off the board likely inspired the Patriots to jump back up from 63rd overall because they only had one other cornerback on their board that could have that inside-outside flex. So it makes sense. They got the guy that they wanted to. They picked up a fourth-round pick out of the whole deal. They flipped one of their second-rounders in a draft that they weren't the biggest fans of for a 2019 second-round pick, which ultimately, in my mind, will pay off. I think that's a really smart move. And they got the guy that they wanted. So while there was like a much ado about nothing, they still got their guy. They got the value that they wanted. They bolstered the middle of their draft. They moved capital forward. Overall, a winning second round for the Patriots. I think it was. Regardless of the Dawson pick, how it works out, I think he'll be fine. I, I don't know. I mean, again, he's, a lot of uh, guys did not have him as a second-round tender, but he's a good tackler. He plays in the slot. The Patriots are pretty set at the outside cornerbacks. It's Stephon Gilmore, Jason McCourty, and, uh, and Eric Rowe. So Dawson's like a smaller player who can cover the smaller slot receivers. 
and a good run stopper. Patriots value good tacklers in their quarterbacks. One thing we'll miss up Malcolm Butler, he was a pretty good tackler when he wasn't trying to punch the ball out all the time. So hopefully Dawson can come in, compete as a as a slot corner and, and do well there. I think Cyrus Jones might be done in New England. It might be the, the end of him. We'll see. That'll be interesting cornerback competition in training camp when that happens. Uh, and I'm glad you liked the Dawson pick, and you're excited with the second round, Rich, because basically <laughs> the third round pick for the Patriots was the, the Trent Brown trade. Yep. And then the fourth round for the Patriots was traded to Cleveland for pick number 114 and 178. And then they traded pick number 114 to Detroit for a 2019 third rounder. <laughs> then they traded uh, the 117 to Tampa Bay for 63-56 for the Dawson pick. And so there was basically nothing until the fifth round the pages, which is a crazy long amount of time to go with no picks. So again, clearly did not have a whole lot of value in the middle of this draft. They made a lot of picks, though, in the last couple of rounds. Fifth rounder, they had one pick at 143. Jawan Bentley out of Purdue. Classic linebacker name. We have Duke Dawson, superhero. We have Jawan Bentley and Dante Hightower, great linebacker names. I like this pick, Trish. What do you think? Yeah, so this was a very clear shot at Alandon Roberts and his future with the team. Because Bentley, according to Pro Football Focus, was the best run-defending linebacker in all of college football for 2017. Let me let me restate that to make that clear. Bentley was the best run defender at the most important position in the Patriots' defense in college football last year. That is clearly why the Patriots wanted him, despite the fact that he is likely a two-down player in the NFL— the fact that Bentley can play special teams, he was a four-year starter for Purdue. I believe he was a three-year captain, which is astounding. He was just a machine for them. If he can replace a Landon Roberts in the Patriots' base defense against the run, which he very well could. Roberts was a very good player, but he's slightly undisciplined with how he charges into the backfield and he leaves a lot of vulnerabilities that opposing teams have really picked on and capitalized on if bentley can be a superior run defender on those those running downs then you're looking at someone who can really contribute to the patriots you're looking at someone who has you know access to 40 percent of the snaps as a rookie he can contribute on special teams that's something that he's really done well and that's great you're, you're not looking for anything from a fifth-round pick. That's still a shot in the dark at this point. And if, if he's able to carve out even just the smallest role, if he's able to push time, if he's able to contribute on special teams, that's a good fifth-round pick. And you have Kyle Van Noy and Dante Hightower holding down the linebacker spot and Marquise Flowers. So Bentley isn't going to have to put himself in a situation where he's going to have to cover tight ends one-on-one -on -one. he can drop into the zone that's something that he's proven that he's capable enough of doing he doesn't have the the hips and the speed to cover running backs to go side to sideline but there is a role where he can play to his strengths that bill belichick will be able to capitalize on i'm very happy with this pick at first i had no idea who he was but upon doing some research figuring out who he was seeing what he brings this is a very solid patriot pick that helps them win super bowls it's funny, you know, you and I in our pre-draft podcast talking about the need for a coverage linebacker, and they went out and they got like a poor man's Brandon Spikes as the only <laughs> linebacker. But, you know, I, I think it's going to work. I think if you can get a two-down linebacker, a guy that running backs become later on scared to run against the way Brandon Spikes was, there's one thing he was really good at was blowing up the run. And if Dewan Bentley can do that, I think it'll be a good pick, especially for a fifth rounder. The investment versus the return, I think, is very solid here. The big negative is, as Patriot writers, it's going to take me a long time to learn how to spell Jawan. It's J A apostrophe W H A N. That's going to mess me up for it's at least two months. I got my work cut out for me going into training camp. A U N, excuse me. See, I already was spelling it. Yeah. Not a good sign for old Alec, the Patriot writer. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a good pick. He, he's a guy that. That they can that they can probably develop well in this year uh, and and to next they picked a linebacker with their next pick in round six uh, linebacker Christian Sam um, one of the first things that I learned about Sam I don't know who this guy was at all because I'm I'm not that deep into into college football um, but it said he he didn't like to practice um, but he vehemently denied that report after his call and hopefully that is a lie because you're going to practice a lot if you're the Patriots <laughs> six two two forty five little lighter 
than what the Patriots are used to, and he ran a 4.7540, which is not great, but he had the sixth best time in the 20-yard shuttle, which they value in, in the Patriots, uh, their linebackers they do. He also puts him quarterback in high school. So maybe he's that coverage linebacker we were talking about earlier in our podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so the selection of Bentley and the selection of Sam, these are two players with very distinct paths onto the roster where Bentley is going after Orlando Roberts. Sam is going to have to prove that he can be a solid special teams linebacker. He's going after the Harvey Lange spot, the one that's historically been held by a Jonathan Freeney type player. I believe Nick Grisby had that last year. That's Sam's path to the roster. And if he can wait out Marquise Flowers or even play better than him this year, that's going to be his path onto the defense which is great, but the first step's getting onto the roster through special teams. And as you said, Sam is, like, pretty solid overall. He He's not the most athletic guy, as you as you highlighted, but he's pretty good. You know, if, if, I, I would give him a solid B-plus in pretty much every category of athleticism, and that's good. That That's a type of character that the Patriots don't really have in that linebacker spot, is someone who has that potential to drop off into coverage. Where, yeah, sure, he's not going to cover, I mean, Darren Sproles as some type of running back that's that filthy, but no linebacker really is capable of doing that. If you're looking at the, the running backs that they'll likely face for everyone else in the AFC East, other than like LaShawn McCoy, I think Sam would be capable enough of going toe to toe with all those running backs in coverage with the tight ends in the AFC East. I feel pretty confident with him dropping into coverage enough. Now, he, he's not going to be perfect. He's not going to be the best, but he's going to be solid. And in the sixth round, that's pretty good value for someone who has potential upside to be a contributor uh, on defense and immediately can contribute on special teams. Speaking of a, a sixth-round pick that could pass potential to immediately contribute to this, this offense, uh, I think they're – Probably one of their most interesting or intriguing picks of the entire draft came next. They traded pick 1998 away to KC for two seventh rounders. And then with pick number 210, they drafted Braxton Berrios. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Wide receiver out of Miami. And this guy is about as Patriots as you could possibly get. He's a short white slot receiver <laughs> who is a good punt, is a good punt returner. He was a team captain in Miami, and he was a finalist for the Academic Heisman. He's like mini Julian Edelman all over again. They seem to find these guys later in rounds. They develop them. They become absolute beasts. This is one guy that some of the experts actually had going to the Patriots. It seemed like a good fit. Uh, obviously, a long road to hoe because he's in a very crowded receiver core right now. But I feel like Barry is the kind of guy, either a, a kind of mini camp, training camp, preseason star that works his way into the roster and maybe replaces Danny Amendola long term. Or practice squad stats that comes up and, and has a couple of good punt returns and, and makes run for the roster special teamer. Overall, I think Berrios is a pretty solid pickup. Yeah, Berrios is the type of player you want to get in the seventh round. He's someone who has plenty of upside. Maybe he was underutilized in college. Maybe he's not the best athlete. But you have a very specific role in mind for him. This time, slot receiver, punt returner. And you just see what he can do. You you know that he has the competition on the roster right now. You have Riley McCarron, who was on the practice squad last year. That is likely where Berrios is destined to go, uh, is to compete for that same practice squad position. But uh, maybe there's an upside for him to make the roster. I think that it's like a total long shot, just because of how deep the Patriots are at wide receiver. And possibly it depends on the health of Julian Edelman, what, what pace is his return at. But... I have a hard time seeing Braxton Berrios. This is the wide receiver death chart right now. Uh, on the outside, so this is not in the Berrios competition, you have the Kenny Britt, you got Chris Hogan, you could probably throw Philip Dorsett in that same one because he's on the outside, and then you got the Malcolm Mitchell. So that is a strong competition. And then you have the Z slash slot position, you know, the Julian Edelman, they, they play inside and outside. You got the Julian Edelman. You got Jordan Matthews, you got Riley McCarron and Cordero Patterson, and then you throw Braxton Berrios into the mix. That's a tough uphill battle. He's going to have to beat Cordero Patterson for a roster spot. I don't see that particularly happening because we could consider Patterson the Patriots' like fifth-round pick or something like that from the, the draft value that they gave up in order to get him. So I don't believe that Braxton Berrios will make that roster, but... 
he could stick around because pretty much every single player I listed other than Julian Edelman and Malcolm Mitchell will be free agents after this season. There will be a whole bunch of openings next year. And if Barrios is able to, to prove his worth to the coaching staff, if he's able to make it to the practice squad, then he does have a path to the roster. It just probably doesn't start until 2019. Interesting. Speaking of not, I guess, not, 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 not to not guarantee. This is a very interesting conversation to have now because one thing we also talked about in our pre-draft podcast is the importance of making sure that there's a, a backup quarterback behind Tom Brady who's not named Brian Hoyer. And the Patriots waited till round seven to pick up a quarterback. LSU quarterback Danny Etling, I think his name is. I know nothing about this guy. I watched some highlights about him. Um, he started his career at Purdue, transferred to LSU. He played for four different offensive coordinators in four seasons, and he's a big-time project quarterback. Is this anything other than the last-minute insurance policy? What do you think of the Etling pick? What do you make of it? What do you think the, the thought process going into this one was? Yeah, Etling is one of the very low, low, low risk. He's 219th overall. He is the lowest risk you can take in the draft where they wanted his arm in the camp just to see what he could bring to the table. And I'm not going to say that he has you know, super high reward. But if he is able to show himself as a capable backup, as a Brian Hoyer, as uh, I don't even know who else he would really compare to. He, uh, he's not a Jimmy Garoppolo, that's that's for certain. But if he can show that he's fine as a backup, as a replacement, maybe he won't even be uh, you know one of the bottom five starters in the league. Maybe he'll just be like an above average backup. That's pretty solid. That That's what you're looking for at this point in the draft, where you see what Etling did over the course of his career. He avoided making mistakes. He had a pretty great deep ball when he able, was able to connect with his receivers, and he was very, very efficient. He did not top 300 pass attempts over the past two years with LSU because they just run the ball so much because they have such a good power rushing attack. So Etling was more of a secondary option for them. But... Overall, he was able to hit the players when his number was called. I believe he had 16 touchdowns, two interceptions this year, something like that. And he was throwing it, you know, eight yards a clip. He is mobile enough. His problem was his inconsistency. And so that's what the Patriots are really going to be looking for with Etling is whether or not he's able to develop this year. He could very well just be a practice squad stash to be a camp arm or just a practice scout team arm for this season. But if he's able to develop his consistency, if he's able to show that he can make NFL caliber throws, which he did at times in college, just very inconsistently, then maybe there's a spot for him. Again, this is what I mentioned back at the beginning with Sony Michel and Isaiah Wynn, is that Bill Belichick loves the SEC. Danny Etling was the second most efficient quarterback in the SEC over the past two years. You, you got Drew Locke and Mizzou, who's supposed to be a top 10 pick next year. And then you had Danny Etling. And Etling was not utilized to that same degree. I believe that uh, Drew Locke had something like 300 more pass attempts over the past two years. But Etling was very efficient when his number was called. And if he can provide that value to the Patriots coming out of the SEC, he was able to do that against the best defenses. That means something to Bill Belichick. That means he thinks that Etling has something he can bring to the table. And maybe he will. We'll get the entire summer to see it. But it's a seventh-round pick. You can't bet anything on it. And the Patriots in 2019 should be back where they were this year, this draft, needing another quarterback. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing I got from this draft is that Tom Brady is definitely playing in 2018. They are not trading him. They are not moving him. Tom Brady is hammered in as that starter, and that's where we're going from there because it's not going to be Brian Hoyer's show. It's not going to be this guy's show either. But, yeah, they'll be in the market. Maybe one of their, their million first, second-round picks they have next year, they'll go quarterback. It's funny. So uh, we only got two picks left. We're kind of running long here, so we'll, we'll kind of batch them together uh, just because they're not – overly mind-blowing but <laughs> there's a guy they drafted in the seventh round uh keon crossin and the fact that this guy went in the seventh round and he ran a 4-3-240 he posted a 39 and a half inch vertical leap and his three cone time was 6.67 means he can't be a very good cornerback because that is just freakish athleticism <laughs> well okay I, the first thing that i thought of when the patriots drafted him 
was, huh, there's a Western Carolina University. That makes sense. I, I've heard of North Carolina. I've heard of South Carolina. I know East Carolina because they have football players every now and again. This is the very first time I've heard of Western Carolina. Congratulations, Keon Crossan. That is fantastic. Good for you for getting drafted. I have no idea what you're going to do with the Patriots. I think Bill Belichick and Nick Casario love doing this every possible time they can in the seventh round is just get the biggest freak of a defensive back that they can maybe stash them have them be a special teams player maybe put them on the practice squad I have a difficult time seeing him making the roster over all the depth that they have at cornerback you got Duke Dawson there too Jonathan Jones will be coming back from injury I would even put Ryan Lewis who was on the practice squad last year well ahead of, of crossing on that potential depth chart but who knows? Maybe he can stick around. It's probably just very impressive that he's made it this far. I have no real opinion on him one way or another. But someone that we were talking about before the show that you wanted to talk about a little bit. Florida State tight end Ryan Izzo. What do you think about him? You know, I actually love the Ryan Izzo pick. Uh, I know he's not a, a, a freak athlete or somebody that will stand out on a lot of draft boards, but I think this could be a potential sleeper that ends up uh, being a a really solid pick. He's a very good blocking tight end. Uh, he ran like a 4-9-40. He's not like a, a super fast guy. But should we find ourselves in a situation where – Gronkowski's, I don't know, injured again. Or if he retires, becomes a wrestler and all the crap <laughs> we're hearing in the offseason. Uh, I think he is a pass-catching threat. I-, I would like to see Izzo become one of those kind of Zach Sudfeld uh, preseason studs that actually continues to do well. He's a big dude. He's 6'6", 260, I think. He's got a big – he's got like 10-inch hands. Just a really big guy. I think he's very raw. Uh, he's a very kind of undeveloped prospect, but if he trains under Gronkowski, I think he could be a guy that if he makes the practice squad and or 53-man roster, he could be a guy that the pages are very glad they drafted at some point. Uh, maybe I'm being optimistic, but I think this is a really good pick and a potential draft steal in Ryan Izzo. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity to make the Patriots roster if you can prove that you can block and maybe you're a big enough threat. To, to catch the ball every now and then. We saw Dwayne Allen was the Patriots' number two tight end all of last year. You know, Gronk is Gronk. He's going to be who he is. But Dwayne Allen was on the field over Jacob Hollister because he could block. He made a huge, huge block to get the Patriots to the Super Bowl. He delivered not as a receiver, but as the blocker, and that's how you get on the field. Jacob Hollister will still have some time to deliver. And then you add Will Ty and Troy Nicholas into the mix. So if Izzo is going to make it, he's going to differentiate himself on special teams and show that he's the best blocker of all of them and maybe force them to keep him. But yeah, he he could be a practice squad stash just because New England needs that depth. They had Will Ty on the practice squad last year. We'll see where he falls for New England. He was a productive receiver. So there is always an opportunity. One of the more interesting parts of this selection, in my mind, this is 250th overall, was just the trajectory of this draft pick. Let me let me, let me spell it out to you, Alec. I don't know if you you saw this as it was coming out, but it started as the original Philadelphia Eagles pick, you know, final pick of the seventh round ahead of the compensatory picks. They traded it to Seattle. Seattle traded it to New England for Justin Coleman. The Patriots traded it back to Seattle. I believe this was part of the, the Cassius Marsh trade. And then Seattle traded it to Philadelphia. And then Philadelphia had their original pick again, and then they traded it to New England. So you have five different trades that happen between the same three teams over the course of an entire year. That's pretty incredible. That is crazy. Wow, what a, what a, what a crazy end to a crazy draft. Uh, but yes, that's the Patriots draft picks. Uh, I want to run through the current undrafted free agents that are on the team or being brought in for tryouts. They have two punters they've brought in, along with Ryan Allen. A uh, guy at Rutgers. They're, they're, I guess their Rutgers pick came in the form of punter this year, Ryan Anderson. The other punter is a guy named Corey Bohorquez, I believe is how you pronounce it, uh, New Mexico. Uh, they, they have uh, another cornerback, A.J. Moore from Old Miss, a tight end, Shane Wyman from North Illinois, 
Another cornerback, J.C. Jackson out of Maryland. A defensive end, Trent Harris out of Miami. Wide receiver, Chris Lacey out of Oklahoma State. Running back, Ralph Webb out of Vanderbilt. And defensive tackle, Frank Heron out of LSU. Any of these guys, that he, these undrafted guys that are brought in for, uh, for a roster tryout or whatever the case may be, uh, stick out to you at all, Rich? Yeah, well, the fact that the Patriots brought in two punters after the disastrous special teams affair that the Patriots had in the Super Bowl against the Eagles speaks a little bit i know that the patriots roster is over their current limit so some of these players could just be uh, a tryout as opposed to a contract so that is still kind of being weeded out um but it is notable that the patriots brought in two punters just to see what they can bring because belichick loves ryan allen says that he doesn't have to worry about the the punting or kicking game with him out there but again, bad holds in the Super Bowl. I guess that was at the, the root of a bad snap. But th- this is something that turns the head a little bit. Although I do wonder if it's just to get a punter in the building for whatever these players are going to be doing during rookie camp to see if they can, you know, just get their hands on a few punts, practice some special teams, because that's where they're going to have to differentiate themselves. So that remains a little bit to be seen. One big name that I do really like is John Atkins out of Georgia. He was, uh, I believe he's 6'3", 320. He's a big player. The Bulldogs, they play a standard 3-4 front, so he should be very, very aware of what New England likes to do with their defensive line. He can move all around, go from the zero tech right across the center to the five tech across from the tackle. So he can play a lot of different spots. He was a two-year starter at Georgia. He was a run-stopper guy, so he plays the first couple of downs. He, I believe, was originally slated to be somewhere as like a fifth-ish round pick. So he is talented. He played in the SEC. Of course, Bill Belichick had his eye on him. If there is an undrafted free agent that will make the team this year, because the Patriots do every single year, my money would be on Atkins potentially beating out someone like a Vincent Valentine who's injured or forcing the team to hold five different defensive tackles. That's my money. I'll take Atkins over Corey Bohorquez because if I have to spell Corey Bohorquez <laughs> and Johan White, it's, nah, I just can't do that, man. John Atkins, nice and solid, easy to spell. And there's always one of those guys, always one of those guys that comes in. Maybe it'll be him, maybe it won't. I, mean, I think it might be, it might be a receiver, but, but we will see. So that is the Patriots draft. Not the most exciting bunch of guys, but I think a solid group and projecting wealth for the future. The Patriots are good at doing that, investing in the present to make sure the future pays off well. I think they're in really good shape overall this year and beyond. Before we close out, Rich, some final thoughts from you. How do you feel that the AFC East did as a whole in this draft, and who's your kind of draft winner on draft week in 2018? Yeah, good question. Uh, so just to run through what each of these teams did, uh, the New York Jets, I'm just going to start with them because they picked first. They got Sam Darnold, who could be their quarterback of the future. He was one of the top-rated quarterbacks. He's considered one of the franchise guys, so you can't really knock them for getting that, even though they traded away you know, a billion dollars in order to move up from the sixth pick to get him. They got someone who is theoretically their franchise guy, so I mean, it is what it is with him. We'll see if he actually works out for them. That's a risk that they definitely had to take. It's hard to blame them because Darnold was the consensus number two quarterback for most. I don't believe the rest of their draft really means too much. So they they could potentially have a franchise quarterback and that could make the draft a win. The rest of it is a bunch of, eh, I don't know, kind of just a shrug. (laughs) So if they get their franchise quarterback, it's a win. If not... This is just another reason why the Patriots just have so much distance on the Jets. And other team, you got the Dolphins. Love their Minka Fitzpatrick pick. He was a potential, you know, top 5, 10 option. And he slid all the way to 11th. And this happened last year with Laramie, or maybe that was two years ago, Laramie Tunsil. Uh, I believe that was two years ago. Where the, the Dolphins just seem to have top 10 talents just slide right into their laps. And they just make the smart decision and take it. But the rest of the draft... Uh, Jacecki is a good receiving tight end. Adam Gase loves having receiving tight ends. You know, he had Julius Thomas with him over uh, with the, the Denver Broncos, and they tried him out again. This uh, with the Dolphins didn't really work out. So maybe Jacecki will be able to do that for them. I like Jerome Baker, who's a good coverage linebacker out of Ohio State. And they just have some pretty solid 
rest of the pieces. So overall, Dolphins had, in my mind, an above-average draft. I would not be shocked if they rebounded under Ryan Tannehill at quarterback and became that second-best team in the AFC East. Don't think they'll challenge the Patriots for the throne, but they did a solid job putting their pieces together. And that gets me to the Buffalo Bills. They are a playoff team, Alec, may I remind you. They are a playoff team, and they made a top 10 pick. That should make them a favorite, right? Except that they chose Josh Allen, who for my money, I don't want to ever knock a, a player trying to achieve his dreams. I don't want them to be put into a position where they aren't going to succeed. But if there were ever a place where a quarterback would be drafted to not succeed, it would be Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills because they just have not done a lot to help their quarterback out. I mean, you saw what they did with Tyrod Taylor last year is trading away pretty much all of their assets. They traded away their starting left tackle, Cordy Glenn, in order to get these pieces. So you get Josh Allen, who's one of the least accurate quarterbacks in the entire draft. You don't give him time behind an offensive line. You don't give him receiving weapons. That's just a disaster waiting to happen. Hopefully, Allen's able to stick it out and have a solid career because I don't want him to, to burn out. You know, I don't want that to happen. This is just not a good environment for him to go to. And then, like, the rest of their draft, I mean, their, their other picks are pretty solid. Tremaine Edmonds slid to them at 16th. He was another potential top 10 pick. Uber freak at linebacker. Great, great selection. Really like him. Potentially, in my mind, if you flipped it, if they took Edmonds at 7th and then they were like, all right, Josh Allen's the last quarterback on the board. We'll take him at 16th. I'd be like, all right, fine. You guys did what you had to do. It's just like the mental act of them trading up to take Josh Allen, which really bugs me. And then Harrison Phillips at 96. This is a very fine move. He's a good defensive tackle. They need to replenish something on their defensive line. So overall... Just like the Jets, it depends on how Josh Allen turns out to really grade them, but this is just not a good one. And If I had to rank the AFC East teams, I would say that the Dolphins won, followed by the Bills because of the Tremaine Edmonds pick, and then the Jets in third place, not by anything with their quarterbacks. I do think that Sam Darnold is a better quarterback than Josh Allen. It's just that the rest of the Jets draft was just so meh that I don't really care for it. Jets going to jet, Rich Hill. Just the way it is. How about in the draft as a whole? Is there one team or one group of individuals that you think really had a great draft? Yeah, actually, I really like the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers draft. Uh, they, they did a really nice job adding some really quality players at every spot. They got Vita Vea, who's the best defensive tackle in the draft. He's just a behemoth out of Washington. He should fit really nicely next to Gerald McCoy on the interior. Vea should be able to draw away a lot of you know, offensive line respect, and that should make McCoy even more disruptive than he already is as like a multi-time All-Pro. That's a really good move. Ronald Jones is a very dynamic running back if he's given space to run, and if he is given that opportunity behind a uh, mediocre offensive line, if if he's given the ball in space, he can make everyone miss. That, that's the thing. He's a potential home run threat. It's just a matter of will he get that opportunity. So I get that pick, and just as I was saying when the Patriots took Sonny Mitchell in the first round, Ronald Jones was, what, nine picks later? Or sorry, just seven picks later. So just because Jones is a second-round pick, it's not noticeably different than the Patriots taking Mitchell at uh, at 31st. So I'm fine with that pick. Jones is a solid one. It's really the, the two second-round cornerbacks that they took, MJ Stewart and Carlton Davis are two of the best cornerbacks, I think, in the this entire draft. Davis is one of those prototypical outside cornerback one guys, lock him up against the other team's six foot three plus top wide receiver. MJ Stewart was a, a cornerback that I had my eye on as a similar sort to Duke Dawson. He can play inside and outside. So with that second round, you get Stewart and Davis. You get a perfect complementary cornerback section there. And then you add in Jordan Whitehead, who is a safety that they took in the fourth round that I like a lot. Uh, Alex Cap is a, like a project tackle that they took in the third. I really liked uh, Jordan Whitehead a little bit more. And then uh, Jack Sitchi, I believe, is a linebacker that you mentioned last podcast as someone that you would be interested in the Patriots taking. So just top to bottom, I thought that the, the Bucks did a really good job adding talent at really important positions and getting really good value across the board. 
Nice. I like that. Uh, and they're in the NFC, which is nice. <laughs> Unfortunately, my draft winners are the Baltimore Ravens. I think they did a great job. I hate saying it because I'm not a huge Ravens fan, obviously, but I love their draft. They got Lamar Jackson with the pick 32. They traded up into the first round. Orlando Brown fell because of bad combine. He's a great tackle. I think Mark Andrews is a really it's a matchup nightmare as a tight end. Jaleel Scott had the best catch of the year. If you have not seen the Jaleel Scott catch, Google Jaleel Scott catch. And uh, we have a really good safety in Deshaun Elliott, along with our cornerback, Avery Everett. I think that's a – Anthony Everett, excuse me. I think that's a really solid draft class. And if the Ravens can get out of their own way, which they can't seem to be able to do as of late, they can make a real splash in the AFC North this year. Yes. I mean, so long as Joe Flacco is still under center, they're, they're probably not going to be a contender. But the Lamar Jackson connection should be pretty strong for them. So I, I like that pick for the Ravens. Did you have any other thoughts on the draft overall, like any, any other – like really good picks that you had or, or just like any closing thoughts on this past weekend? Obviously the most important thing to learn about the draft is absolutely nobody has any idea whatsoever what they're doing, who's going to be good, who's going to be bad. It's really fun to talk about these guys and break down the picks and how you can analyze them. But no one has any clue. I think it's important to keep that in mind. And we always take these conversations with a very, very large grain of salt because if people knew what they were doing, Tom Brady would have gone first overall instead of 199. And let's hope all these kids stay healthy. They have every opportunity to succeed at their dreams. It's always great to see kids go pro because that's everyone's dream at some point in their lives. It's a wonderful thing to see dreams come true. And hopefully all of these kids work out and they do well. And if they don't work out in the NFL, they find themselves elsewhere. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great thought to have. Uh, my closing thoughts, there, there were two stories that were pretty great that uh, the Edmonds brothers, two first-round picks. Tremaine Edmonds went to the Bills, as we mentioned. He's a linebacker from Virginia Tech. His brother Terrell Edmonds, a safety at Virginia Tech, went to the Steelers. I believe this was the first time in NFL history that two brothers have gone in the first round. I love that sort of thing, and that is only topped by the Seattle Seahawks taking Shaquem Griffin, 141st overall, reuniting him with his brother Shaquille Griffin, that is a fantastic story that resonated with every single person in the entire league. Shaquem and Shaquille together again. Good for you, Seattle. Very happy that that was able to play out the way that it did. Uh, Alec, we'll, we'll have more breakdowns of this draft as we sink really into the film of all the prospects that the Patriots added. Do you have any final thoughts here on the Pat's Pulpit Podcast before we sign off? No, let's do it, buddy. All right, awesome. You have a good one. You too. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>